Today, the Good Shepherd. I am the Good Shepherd. I'd like to start by giving a little bit of a background uh, to, uh, to this passage. So in John chapter 8 and verse 58, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now it's interesting, if you, if you look back at that passage in chapter 8, uh, he was having a discussion with them about who Abraham's children were. Um, and they were, they were kind of debating with them. And he was trying to, uh, to communicate to them that Abraham's true children are children who are of, of the faith and that they should believe in him. And he eventually get, comes to the point where they're, they're talking to him about Abraham and, and they're saying, well, are you greater than our father Abraham? And, and then he's talking about Abraham and how Abraham rejoiced to see his, his day come. And then they said, you know, how can you talk about Abraham? You know, you know he's, he's the father of, of their faith, you know, from ancient times. And then he says, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. You know, so he's, he's using the I am, meaning I am God. You know, it's the name that he gave to Moses uh, to go and speak to Pharaoh with. He said, I am. When, when Moses said, who should I tell Pharaoh? I can't just go there. I mean, the Egyptians worship many gods. And, uh, and I can't just go there and not even have a name to give them. And so that's the name that was given to him. The I am, the self-existing one. You know, the one, the one who, who exists without the need of anything from creation. Uh, he's the self-existing one, the one who is, the I am. So when he said this, immediately the Jews knew what he was saying, right? They were educated in the scriptures. They memorized, you know, the the entire first five books of the Old Testament. And many of them, for example, the Pharisees would go on to memorize the Old Testament in, in its entirety. It's amazing to me how much they could memorize. Uh, it, they, but they worked at it. So we see to him communicating this clearly. All right, some more background. <clears throat> in John chapter 9, there was a, born, a man born blind. And in uh, Jesus came to him and healed him. He placed mud on his eyes, and he went and washed, and he was healed. But by the time he was healed, Jesus had left, and he, he didn't actually see him. And so then uh, the word got around, because nobody had ever heard of a man being born blind and receiving his sight. And uh, so word got around, and eventually, you know, the, the leaders of the Jews, the Pharisees, Sadducees, they wanted to speak with him as well and find out what's going on. So he came there, and he was speaking to them. And, uh, and they were debating with him, you know, we know this man must, must not be from God because he healed on the Sabbath, you know, this is a sin. And it, so he couldn't be from God, you know, and, and he's, he's debating back, saying, well, if he's not from God, how could he heal? Nobody's ever heard of somebody receiving his sight back when he's been born blind. If he wasn't from God, he couldn't do anything. And so then they kicked him out. They said, you know, get out of here. How dare you lecture us, right? You were born in sin. Because that was their idea. If you were born blind, it was because of sin, right? And so they cast him out, and, uh, and then Jesus heard about this. And I love this passage because in John uh, chapter 9, verses 35 to 41, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? So often when Jesus would perform a miracle, people would go seek him out, right? He did a miracle for them. You know, he healed their child or something, and then they would go try to find him, you know, and, and worship him or thank him or something. 
In this case, Jesus went and found the blind man and went to talk to him. And he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered and said, sir, who is he that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen me, and it is he who it, who it is who is speaking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. All right, so Jesus went and found him. And it's just such a cool thing because he came to seek and to save the lost. Right? So this man who had been cast out um, from where he should have been accepted, uh, he was cast out, and then Jesus went and found him and revealed to him who he was. And the man responded in faith. He said, I believe, and he worshiped him. And then Jesus told him, for judgment I came into this world, that those who see, uh, who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. So, uh, you would have, oh, sorry. Uh, some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say you see, your guilt remains. All right. So they were saying that they could see. So he went and gave this man his sight. He went and found him. The man received spiritual sight as well. He placed his faith in Christ. And then the Pharisees who were there, who were saying that we see, they're like, well, what about us? And he said, well, you say that you can see, and therefore your guilt remains, because he knew they didn't really believe. All right? But they were saying that they did. All right, so now we'll, we'll come to the, the crux of our passage. I wanted to, to put uh, this, this background in there because it's actually very connected. We'll, we'll see a little bit later on in this passage that the Pharisees reference back again to the blind man. Um, so there's a, there's a kind of a situation and a, a dialogue going back and forth between Jesus and the, the leaders of the Jews about who he is. And, uh, and so Jesus is trying to to lay it out as clearly as he can for them. So let's look at this, the true shepherd of the sheep. In John chapter 10, verses 1 through 6, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. All right. So as Roman talked last week, you know, Jesus is the door, right? He is the door. He said, I am, I am the door to the sheepfold. You know, and uh, he said, but the ones that come in a different way, they're thieves, they're robbers. You know, they're coming to steal. Um, and he's, he's making this reference, talking about the Jewish leaders. It's not just, he's not just throwing it out there generally, although it can be applied today as well, of, of those who would want to feed on the sheep for their own benefit, for their own, you know, gain financially or, you know, maybe, they want power or whatever they want, whatever their motive is. Uh, but he's, he's specifically talking about these leaders. Um, and then it goes on, you know, to him, uh, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and they come out. So his sheep will hear his voice. When Jesus speaks, those who are his hear him. So when we look back at the Pharisees and those religious leaders who were rejecting Jesus, they weren't hearing his voice because they weren't his. They were rejecting him because what the words that they were hearing weren't accompanied by faith. Right? So they, they weren't receiving what he had to say. But when he comes to his own sheep, they hear his voice. 
and they come out. One of the interesting things about uh, shepherds, uh, is still true to this day, uh, they speak to their sheep, and their sheep hear them. Shep- sheep don't have great eyesight, and so, but their hearing is excellent. So they will actually respond. And when you see, when he's talking about the gatekeeper here, uh, often there would be a large pen, and many shepherds would keep their sheep in the same place. So when, when we see this happening, they could come, and they didn't have to go in there and, okay, this one's mine, it has my tag on it or something. They didn't have to just draw them out that way. They could speak. And their sheep would respond by coming out of the pen and following them. So that's what Jesus is talking about here. He's like, there's this whole, whole pen here, and some of them are my sheep, and some of them aren't my sheep. Uh, and they don't listen to my voice. But the ones who are mine, they listen, and they come out and follow me. So, so he's, he's making that reference because of that. So his sheep hear his, his voice, and he calls them by name. It's an intimate knowledge of who they are. You know, the shepherds actually knew who their sheep were. It's, it's, some of them had quite large flocks as well. But they, they spent so much time with them that they would actually name their sheep and know them uh, and could call them by name. They recognized them uh, by sight. So they hear and they come out. And when he had brought out all of his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. So they're actually afraid of the strange voice. So that's why, you know, the thief can't just come in and call to them and they will come out. He has to break in in some other way and try to steal them Um, because they won't follow him. They would be afraid. But the voice of the shepherd they will hear and they will follow uh, because he's not a stranger to them. All right, so this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So, it, again, it requires, it requires faith to, uh, to understand. It requires faith to understand. All right, a thief and a robber. So the Jewish leaders of that day. All right, they do not enter by the door. In Romans chapter 9, verse 30 and 32, Paul wrote, And what shall we say then, that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is a righteousness that is by faith, but that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it was uh, based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. So the, the problem was that They pursued a relationship with God based on laws, based on rules, based on what they did, and not based on relationship. Uh, Abraham, he had a relationship with God, and we see that relationship. We see him conversing with God, talking with God, and we see him walking in fellowship. God calls him out from a people, you know, to go to a new land that, that he didn't even know where it was or where he was going, but God called him out to go there. He responded because... He belonged to God. He was one of his sheep. And, uh, and so when Jesus is referencing back to Abraham, you know, in the, in the previous uh, point that I made, when he's referencing back to them, he's saying, Abraham followed my voice, right? Abraham listened and followed. And that we should be uh, the children of Abraham in faith as well and follow him. And especially the Jews should. All right. So now, Jesus is the good shepherd. In John chapter 10, verses 11 to 21. 
I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. All right. So the good shepherd, he lays his life down. We know when Jesus came very early on, he talked about this. In the, in the same book, in John, you know, he, he came to die as a sheep. He came to die for his own and for the whole world. Right? And so, he's, but he said that's what the good shepherd does. He lays down his life. But the hired hand who's not the shepherd, who does not own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming and he leaves. And the she- he leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. It's an interesting contrast. Um, I immediately thought of David, who, uh, who obviously King David is in the line of Christ. Um, both genealogies uh, of Christ go back to David, both on his father's and mother's side. And we see in, in Samuel, um, I'm not going to take the time to turn there, but if we did, we see in, in Samuel when David is going to speak, he, he's gone to see, uh, his father's actually sent him, to go and see the army because his brothers are there, they're lined up against, in battle lines against the Philistines, you know, and he arrives there, and when he gets there, he sees this giant of a man, Goliath, who's, who's out there taunting the people of Israel. And he's out there challenging them, come out. You know, I, I'm the hero of the Philistines, come out and fight me. If you win, we'll be your slaves. If you win, then we'll be your slaves. Um, and so he comes and sees this, and he's like, why, why are we letting him do this? Why isn't somebody going out there? And, uh, and so he goes to the king to volunteer, you know, to go out there. And the king said, you're just a boy. And this man has been a fighting man, a fighter since he was a boy. Uh, you know, you can't go and fight him. So David says, when I was keeping my father's sheep, you know, a lion and a bear, they came and took a lamb. And I went out and retrieved the lamb, and then I grabbed them and killed them. And this Philistine will just be just like one of them because he's defying the armies of the living God. So when we see David talking about this, he said, you know, I would, I would go, go out there and fight the lion, but when we see the, the false shepherds, you know, the ones that are just the hired hand, they leave and flee. So one of the evidences that Christ is the good shepherd is that he didn't flee. He, di- he didn't shrink back from the will of God when, when danger came. He was constantly in danger. I mean, if we went back and looked at, uh, you know, the I am, when he said I am, they tried to stone him. You know, they were trying to kill him. But it didn't stop him from proclaiming the message of salvation, right, from proclaiming who he was. He continued because we depend on it, right? We depend on his communication. So without without him continuing the message uh, and without him following through on the purposes of God, we, we wouldn't have salvation. All right. I'm the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. So Jesus talks about that relationship. Just as he knows the Father, and the Father knows him, we can know him. I know my own, and my own know me. Uh, one of the things about Jesus when he came, uh, the Scripture says he became like us in all ways, except for sin. And that's literal. Like if you look all throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus keeps, keeps telling people things like this. I can only do what I see the Father doing. I only do what he tells me to do. 
we see him going off and praying to the Father. He, he made himself completely dependent upon the Father. Um, you know, when we talk about uh, Jesus emptying himself, setting aside his, his glory and becoming a man, he retained the ability to act as God, but he didn't do it. Instead, he submitted himself to the Father. And we see that all the way up to the cross. He's in the garden. He's praying, Father, take this cup away from me because of the incredible strain he was feeling uh, of the, the weight of sin and the weight of the idea of being separated from his Father uh, for the first time ever in eternity. And, and then he says, but nevertheless, not my will, but thy will. Not my will, but your will. Because of that intimate relationship with the Father, um, he said that. And because he became just like us, he had to suffer like we do sometimes, you know, un under the strain of, of this world, under the fallenness of this world. But he submitted himself to the Father. And we, and we see what happened as well. The Father raised him up. All right, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. He laid down his life for the sheep. It's, it's interesting because he's both the shepherd and the sheep, right? He's the lamb of God. In, also in, in the book of John, John the Baptist, when he first sees him, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So he sees, he sees Jesus, and this is his first response in the Holy Spirit. This, this is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So the shepherd and the sheep. And he said, not only this, but I have other sheep that aren't of this fold, and I must bring them also. So now he's talking about us. And they will listen to my voice. And so there will be one flock and one shepherd. Yeah. So even before the book of Acts, you know, when we, when we, when we hear him uh, telling the disciples to go out into all the world, you know, and proclaim the gospel to all nations, right? Making disciples. Uh, even before that, it was in God's mind, and, and Jesus spoke and said, you know, I have other flocks. I have sheep that aren't from this fold. Uh, I don't know if we have any people of Jewish descent in here. I'm not, as far as I know. So he, but he was speaking about us, because he loves the whole world, right? All right, and he said, I must bring them also, they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. And for this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my Father. All right. So Jesus said, they're not taking my life from me. When he, when he went to the cross, I mean, he even, he even told, uh, well, in the, in the garden when they were arresting him, he told Peter, put away your sword, right? I could call... I could call the angels. They would send an army of angels here to fight for me. But he knew that wasn't what God's will was. That wasn't the, the purpose of why he came. All right? he, but he laid down his life willingly. All right. So then there was a division again among the Jews because of these words. And some of them said, he has a demon and he's insane. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So again, the, the, the testimony of the man who was born blind. See, it's connected. 
So there, there were those who didn't believe, and they're like, oh, this man, he's, he's talking crazy stuff. You know? And then there were others who looked at it and said, no, this isn't the, the words of a crazy man. Uh, you know, could a demon open the eyes of the blind? Right. Yeah, it's amazing to me how the Lord communicates and there are those who completely reject the message and those who respond in faith. And that's always true. And what he, what he calls the church to, what he calls us to, when he talks about going and making disciples, what, he, what he's calling us to is communicate, to communicate truth. And there's always a response. The response is either belief or unbelief. Always. You know, and for some, they'll respond in unbelief, 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 and then get saved. And we see that a bit in Paul. And in the book of Acts, when, when Jesus comes to him on the road to Damascus, uh, and, uh, and he says, isn't, isn't it hard for you to kick against the goats? Because Paul was resisting the call. Um, and I don't know if it was the testimony of Stephen, because Paul was there during that time, or if it was the testimony of other believers, probably all of that, and the word as well, because they were proclaiming the word. Um, so that's the case for many people. I know that was the case for me. I don't know how many times I heard the gospel before I got saved. But I know I heard it because after I got saved, I heard it all the time at church. And I'd been going there for months before I got saved. Um, but it, wasn't, uh, it didn't benefit me because it wasn't accompanied by faith. All right. Now I'd like to look at Romans uh, chapter 10, verses 11 to 21. We'll move a little bit quickly through here because I know it's a long passage. But this is talking about the Jews and the Greeks. For there is no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without someone preaching? And how are they, how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. For they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. All right, all right so that's, that's, always, that's always the issue. The issue is faith. Right? And it wasn't that they didn't hear, it's just that they didn't believe. Um, but it's our responsibility to continue to give opportunity for people to hear. All right. Now I'd like to tra transition a little bit, because this passage is talking about uh, Jesus being the shepherd. Now I would like to look at the 23rd Psalm. There's a book uh, that I read years ago. Um, it was called A Shepherd's Look at the 23rd Psalm. Maybe, maybe some of you, you have read that book. I don't know. Uh, but ever since I read that, it kind of changed my perspective when I, when I read this passage. But I would just like to go through this a little bit, verse by verse, and look at the points here. So in Psalm chapter 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What does it mean to not want? What does that mean? Do you guys ever have wants? Is the Lord your shepherd? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not talking about desire. Like, the Lord is my shepherd. I'm never going to desire anything ever again. I'm not going to want anything. What it means is that I'm never going to be in want, meaning 
I'm never going to be in a point where my, my needs aren't supplied. Because God, as a faithful father, as a faithful shepherd, he's always going to supply our needs, just like a shepherd would for his sheep, right? He's always going to make sure that they have what they need. So I shall not want. I, I won't be in need of things that are needful. All right, he makes me lie, <clears throat> excuse me, he makes me lie down in green pastures. So lying down, that's speaking of rest, right? In green pastures. Uh, if you look at the land of Israel, it's not green everywhere. There are places where it's green, but there are many places where it's not green. But the Lord finds restful places for us where we can rest. And, uh, and that's needful. We see Jesus going aside and finding places to rest because of the weight of life, the weight of ministry, the burdens that were upon him. He would go aside and find a place to rest. And he would often take some of his disciples with him, not always, but he would often take them aside as well so that they could rest. And that's something that we need. And he says that he makes us do it. One of the things that the shepherd would do is he would come to the sheep and he would be like, okay, they need a rest. Maybe, maybe the day is too hot. Maybe they're worn out from a long walk. He would physically make them lie down if they didn't do it willingly. And sometimes he does that with us, right? Sometimes he makes us rest. You know, maybe he changes our circumstances. You know, we, we, we thought, you know, we should be doing something, but he decided maybe we needed some rest more. So he does that for us, and he does it in green pastures. You know, a, a place of of fruitfulness, a place where the grass is growing, it's green. It's not brown. It's a good place to rest. All right. And he leads me beside still waters. All right. This one, the still waters. Did you know sheep are afraid of water, moving water? Did you know that? It's, it's because if, if they go into moving water, well, one thing, sheep, sheep don't swim very well because of their wool. It fills up, makes them heavy, and they sink. But they're especially terrified of moving water. So what the shepherds would do, if, if you had a stream, if that's where he was going to, to bring water for the sheep, he would put rocks and, and make a pool so that they could come to a still water and drink. So that's what the shepherd did. So the Lord does that for us as well, right? There are times in life when we're, we're, we're stressed, we're fearful, um, but the Lord knows that. And so he'll calm the waters for us. We see him literally doing that with the disciples on the Sea of Galilee, right? You know, the, the storm, and he looks from a distance. He was up on the mountain praying. In the middle of the night, he looks at the distance. The disciples are straining. You know, there's a strong wind. And, uh, and then he walks out on the water to them and, uh, and meets them. Hey, Peter, you know, come out of the boat. Peter comes out and sees the waves and starts to sink. But he got out of the boat, at least, right? You know, and we also see when he's in the boat and another time and a storm comes and they're all frantic. Don't you care? They wake him up. Don't you care that we're going to perish? He wakes up and rebukes the wind and the, and the waves and it calms down immediately. Um, because that's what a good shepherd does. He, ta he takes care of them. So uh, he helps to soothe them when they're afraid. Make a circumstance so that they don't fear because we can trust him. We don't need to fear uh, because he loves us, right? There's no fear in love. Uh, so we don't need to be afraid. All right. Besides still waters, he restores my soul. Do you ever have your soul restored? Maybe, maybe you're, you've been through some difficulties, some real stresses that strained you, maybe strained your faith 
and then, and then you find rest because he gives rest to our souls. He says that his, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. One of his beefs with the Pharisees was that they were loading people with heavy weights, right? You've got to keep all these laws, and really detailed laws, went way beyond what the Old Testament law said. Right? An example of this was what we just talked about earlier with the blind man. Like it's work if you put mud on a blind man's eyes and, he, and he's healed. You know, they, they had all these rules. You can't do anything like this, right? Can't pick up your mat and carry it on a, on a Sabbath. I think he purposely would tell people to do that because these weren't law, Old Testament laws and he was trying to challenge the, the thinking of that day. Um, his yoke was easy and his burden was light. So he restores our, he restores our soul. You know, he, he takes care of us and he, he's concerned about the inner man. You know, that we, we would be at peace and rest on the inner man. All right, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Right. Something that's important when you're a shepherd and when you're leading sheep is that you lead them by good paths. Um, again, the sheep don't have great eyesight. If you lead them on a dangerous path, you might lose some of them off a cliff. All right. But he leads us in good paths, and he leads us in paths of righteousness as believers. So if you ever imagine that God would lead you into sin, the scripture is very clear that he doesn't. He never leads us to sin, ever. He only leads us in paths of righteousness, and he does it for, for his name's sake. He does it because we're connected to him. We're his children. We, we carry his name. We're the sons of God, right? We sons and daughters of God. We carry his name. And so for, for his name's sake, he leads us in paths of righteousness for the sake of the testimony, uh, and also for our own good. All right. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. So the valley of the shadow of death. <clears throat> Sometimes in the evenings, uh, when you're in a mountainous region, uh, especially if you're like sheep with poor eyesight, it's really hard to, to tell the difference between a pit and a shadow. Right? So the valley of the shadow of death, if you're in a place like that, we, we were just uh, on vacation in, the, in a mountainous region a couple weeks ago. And my son and I, when we, we had gone up on the side of a mountain, and uh, we were looking and we saw this really dark spot on, on a mountain across from us. We couldn't figure out what it was. It looked so strange. And uh, you know, I think it was the next day when we figured it out that it was a shadow that was being cast. There was a cliff, like right in the middle of this mountain, there was a big cliff that went straight down, and it was creating this big shadow as the sun was going down. And that's what we were seeing. Uh, but our eyesight wasn't good enough to discern what it was. And uh, when we're in those moments, you know, when we're in a moment where there's a shadow, and we're afraid because we think that the, the danger is so great, you know, we're comforted, we don't need to fear evil, we're comforted because he's with us. He's always with us. He's always with us. He never leaves us or forsakes us. And his rod and his staff comfort us. The rod and the staff. Do you guys know the difference between the rod and the staff? They're both shepherd's tools. All right, the rod is more like a weapon, right? The shepherd would sometimes use it to prod the sheep to get him to do what he wanted. But the rod was like the weapon. If the wolf, the bear, the lion, whatever comes, 
I mean, you beat them. It's like a club. It was weighted on the end, and it was something you used for defending the flock to protect them from danger. So that was, that was the one tool. And the other one's the one we see more often, the shepherd's staff, right? It's the one with the hook on it. So if the sheep did fall in a pit, you can reach down, grab them, and pull them out of the pit. So that one was used, you know, for, for retrieving the sheep. If they were going astray, you know, you can kind of hook them and pull them back in, into the fold and back into line. So both of those things are comforts for us, right? Sometimes the Lord might use the rod, you know, if we're, if we're heading into sin, he might use the rod to correct us, to bring us back. And sometimes he uses the gentler instrument to pick us up and, and bring us back into the fold. And both of those are comforts for the believer. I'm comforted by that. I'm comforted by the fact that if I chose to go into sin, the Lord's not going to forsake me. He's going to discipline me for the sake of restoring me back into fellowship with him. Um, and that's a comfort to me. And it's also a comfort to me that if circumstances happen where, where I end up in a really, really difficult spot, that I know that he's there also to rescue me. All right, He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Sheep will eat almost anything, even poisonous plants. So one of the things the shepherd would do is go out where his sheep were grazing and he would uproot the poisonous plants to protect them from it. That was preparing the table for them. All right, and he does that for us as well. He prepares the table for us. If you look at the table as, as our lives, he will, he will help to uproot the sin and, and help to prepare a place for us, and sometimes it's in the presence of our enemies. Sometimes we're surrounded, you know, by people who are living, you know, in sin, and maybe they're trying to draw us into it. Um, and but he will go out there, and he will he will prepare a table for us. Uh, when I was first saved, I uh, was working at a company. It was a factory, and the the guys there were so hostile. And I would t I would take my Bible. Uh, with me, and often I was reading it during like breaks because their conversation wasn't anything I wanted to, to join in with most of the time. And they would often give me a really hard time. And they would, and they would say stuff to me. And they would, they would try to accuse me of stuff. Oh, what'd you do this weekend, Scott? I bet you did this, this, and this. I don't want to say what they would say. Um, and some of them even said that they, they went to church, but they would still talk this way. And, and they thought it was, they thought it was uh, I guess, entertainment. And I would just keep going, and, uh, and there was this one guy, Clark. Uh, he, was, he was the worst of the group. He was always doing this to me. And one day, he said, I bet you think I'm going to hell, don't you? And I said, yeah, Clark, I, I think so. And, uh, and I said, apart from faith in Christ, so would I. And uh, when I left there, uh, I, I, I didn't always talk to him like that. And there were times that I didn't talk to him. But when I left there, one of the things that the Lord uh, did for me was that those guys took a collection. I left there to take a missions trip. I, I, was, I was going on an extended missions trip, about two months. And so I, I quit my job to do it. And those guys took up a collection, including Clark. And he came and spoke to me, and he wrote actually a really nice thing in the card. And what it was to me was a testimony that if you, in the face of those kinds of circumstances, in the presence of enemies, if you just stay true to God's word, it can be a testimony to them. 
And, uh, and some of them came, came, wrote that and came up to me and even said that. You know, it's a challenge to me, you know, that you as a young man are going off to do this, you know, this work on the mission field. All right, last two. You anoint my head with oil. Um, all right, so the sheep, because they're constantly grazing, right? And uh, in Israel, especially with all the rockiness, you know, they can cause damage and cuts. So uh, one of the things the shepherd would do is look for any injuries on the sheep, and he would, he would put oil. It was olive oil, and sometimes it was mixed with perfumes, uh, especially if you were anointing a person with it. But they would put it on the sheep in order to soothe them uh, of their cuts, their bruises, and it would also help to keep some of the insects away and, and cleanse them. So he would do that, anoint the head with oil, um, and then, it, so it was a comfort, and then my cup overflows. All right. So that's talking, talking about an abundance again, an overflowing cup. Uh, so the, the shepherd makes sure you know, that, that we overflow. And sometimes it's an overflow of the heart. Right? We're so thankful for, for all that he does for us. All right, and some reasons to be thankful. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So that's, that's what our shepherd does for us. You know, goodness and mercy all the days of our life in this world. And then when our life in this world is over, we'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Um, that's our shepherd. All right, conclusion. So in Luke chapter 15, verses 4 to 7. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine and go to the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my lost sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there, is more, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need or need no repentance. Right? That's, our, that's our Lord. Right? He pursues us. He seeks and saves the lost. Right? He, per, he pursues us. So, and, and he'll continue to pursue, pursue you. I don't know all of you. I don't know where, where you're at in your relationship with the Lord. But I do know this. If you go astray, he's going to seek you. If you are astray, if, you, if you're not in relationship with him, he's seeking you. Uh, he seeks and saves those who are lost. And there's more rejoicing in heaven over that than the person who doesn't need to repent. Because... It was a sheep that wasn't in the fold, right? That's brought in. Uh, so there's so much rejoicing over that. So God rejoices over us. He rejoices over us as his children, but he, he rejoices as well, and all of heaven rejoices at the repentance of a sinner. All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for being our good shepherd. I thank you for your son, who came into this world. I thank you that he came to seek and to save the lost. I thank you that he came in the, in the face of so much opposition and so much danger that he walked faithfully with you, trusting you because he knew that you're a God who judges justly 
He knew that you are a God who desires the salvation of humanity. I thank you that because of your faithfulness and because of your death on the cross, that now there's a way that's open for us to come into relationship with you. I thank you that even today, you're out seeking people through your word, through your children, and that you're communicating with them about your love, about your righteousness, about judgment that comes apart from you, but also the judgment that was borne by your son so that we don't have to be judged. I thank you that you continue to do that work and that you'll continue the work of salvation until all of your children have come into the fold. I thank you that we can trust you for that. I pray, give us the words to speak, Lord, and boldness to speak it. Help us to remember your word on occasions when we have opportunity to give reason for the hope that's in us. I pray that we would communicate in a way that's loving and kind, but also truthful and bold. Help us to be good communicators and help us to love this world the way that you loved this world. Help us to be willing to make sacrifices to see the lost reached and help us to love one another so that the world can look at us and be drawn to you. I thank you that you are so good and so faithful as a shepherd and that we can always trust you. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.